Welcome to Lunch and Unlearn. In today's episode, we discuss allyship and the importance of understanding our position in the world as we strive to be good allies, share a favorite thought leader who we are following on social media, and leave you with a thought-provoking question around recognizing our own positionality blind spots. Let's grab some lunch and get ready to unlearn together. In the midst of a pandemic, a Black revolution and a white awakening are happening. Diversity, equity, and inclusion educators Brianna Clover and Dr. Jessica Petty create brave spaces for candid conversations on race equity, focusing specifically on its intersection with ableism, sexism, sexual orientation, and gender identity, all from the unique perspective of a black woman and a white woman. I'm Brianna Clover. And I'm Dr. Jessica Petty. Uh, So first, I'd like to start with you, Jess, and love to get your perspective on what allyship is and how that shows up in your work and your life. Yeah, so this is definitely a word that is getting uh, more popular, and I think people, when they hear the word, they feel that they they understand what it means. Um, but for those that are maybe aren't familiar with the word or are a little unsure of, of how that actually happens, um, really all allyship is is leveraging your own personal privilege to help others that are underrepresented. And so we see this in, um, I've done a a ton of work around mentorship and how impactful that is. Sponsorship is something that we often see um, at the more executive level within a corporate organization. Advocating, uh, you see this with coaches, you see this in the academic space, especially with like a first generation college student, things like that. So it's really just somebody that has power or privilege and using that in a way to help someone else that in that space is underrepresented or needs, you know, additional support. Is that how you understand it, Brie? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good summary of, of what it is. And I think I'm appreciative of language for us to be able to name that. Absolutely. And so when I think about being an ally, I think for me, as I've gone through this learning for myself, I think one of the things that stands out to me that I've learned about and that I think is really critical as I'm continuing to try to be a better ally is to understand this terminology around positionality. And basically what that is, is you're just looking to understand how does your place in society impact how you view the world? So you're recognizing I stand in this spot as this type of person and then making sure that you're aware of that relationship to others and to other systems um, and cultures and things like that. So it's it sounds simple, but it's almost one of those things that you you don't recognize unless you take a critical look at yourself to really name what is my position. I love that because I'm I'm even thinking uh, as a woman of color, an able-bodied woman of color, my position in society, in a society that often devalues people with disabilities, that mm-hmm. limits my understanding of the barriers that they face. I just simply won't see those barriers in large part because I don't have to. Society right. is structured to accommodate the way I use my body. So thanks for, for sharing that definition. I think when we look at all of us and where our positionality is relative to those around us, we all can recognize the certain privileges that we have. Uh, based on our place in society. Through doing this work, it's been very important to me to understand my position in the world as a white woman. Uh, But there's many other elements. I'm not just a white woman. Um, I'm also a U.S. citizen. 
I also, you know, live in a suburban area that is relatively affluent. You know, there's so many different things that impact my position in the world. Um, so I'd love to share with you a, a little scenario and see if we share the same position on this, this one particular topic. Yeah, let's do. Let's do that. All right. So imagine just as we are experiencing right now, that it's a very hot day. Um, We're outside at a cafe. Everyone is wearing sleeveless shirts and tank tops and shorts. And it's it's incredibly hot. And you're hoping that they're going to turn on those misting fans and Mm -hmm. it's going to cool off soon. And you notice at the table next to you, nobody's come by to see them. So it's a, it's a man and a woman sitting at the table and the man is, you know, trying to wave down someone to please bring them some water, you know, that's, they're so hot and they continue to be ignored, ignored, ignored. And then suddenly the woman, you notice she is flagging down someone else. And as she raises her arm, you realize that she does not shave under her arms. Hmm. Hearing that story, do you have a feeling one way or the other? Does that, would that stand out to you? Absolutely. And it almost makes me a little uncomfortable to say that uh, because I like to think of myself as an inclusive person that is open and loving and welcoming of of all people, despite whether they shave their armpits or not. But yeah, it does. Like my my immediate reaction is kind of like, ooh, it'd catch me by surprise. Right. Whereas for you and I seeing the man raise his arms, we probably wouldn't think anything about it because Mm we live in a society where that is acceptable. And that is what we've been taught is this is how a man (laughs) deals with his body hair. And this is Mm -hmm. how a woman deals with her body hair, but it hasn't always been that way, but it's what we have been taught. And that is largely, that is a U.S. position. That's a Canadian position. And if we were from a different country where that was not what they had been taught, we wouldn't think anything about it. And so I know that's sort of a silly example, but that's part of positionality. It's a very complicated and nuanced uh, way to think about things. And so I always like to bring that up when we're talking about allyship, because if you don't understand your position in the world compared to somebody else's, it's very difficult, I think, for you to be an effective ally for them. No, that's a really good point, Jess. That's great. I'm gonna I'm going to think about that just as I move through life, understanding my different identities and understanding how society has put me in certain buckets, so to speak, based on uh, the way I look, the way I dress, the way my hair is styled, right. uh, my personal hygiene. I think that's just helpful for all of us to consider. Yeah, as we move through life. You carry so much of this information with you and you don't even know where it came from or why you believe those things, but you know, deep down that you do believe them. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I think it's interesting. Um, So I would love to talk to you about something that came up for us as we were working through some written material together and we had a conversation around capitalization between black and white. Mm. Um, So I would love to hear uh, your viewpoint on this and particularly Um, as a black woman? I think, and we'll probably talk a lot about this, but how powerful language is, especially when we look at it in the context of how language has been a part of the way society and institutions have separated black Americans and have devalued their humanity. And this is just, in my opinion, one example of that. And there's there's a lot of discourse around the capitalization of black and white and what is appropriate. Uh, And my personal opinion is that, and how I 
how in, in the writing that I do, I make an intentional effort to capitalize black and white. Uh, I think that part of the reason that drove my decision to, to be more intentional about that is I believe that to not name white as a race is an anti-black act. It frames whiteness as both neutral and the standard. And someone else that I love to quote is Dr. Robin D'Angelo, uh, who is a sociologist, and she's also the author of White Fragility. She writes that white people get to just be people without having their race named, whereas people of color are often described with their race. So I choose to capitalize white as a way to call attention to white as a race and to understand and give voice to how whiteness functions in our social and political institutions and in our communities. Now, the decision to capitalize black, a little bit of a different perspective here. I think that there's a lot of discourse around whether or not to, to capitalize black. And I choose that capitalizing black recognizes uh uh, or humanizes black uh, black Americans to not capitalize it. It's a color, but mm-hmm. capitalizing it creates a, a recognition that it is an experience and it is a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have also heard some people who choose not to capitalize white is because uh, it has often been used by white supremacists to establish white as a racial dominance. So I do recognize that um, and I can understand that perspective of not capitalizing white in this context, especially because it makes us grapple with the history of how whiteness has functioned and thrived in the United States. So I think my decision to capitalize white is, yes, white people have had power and they still hold power in this country. And let's not normalize whiteness. So does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And I think we both um, have a great appreciation for sources. And, you know, we are very careful to not just, um, you know, live off of opinion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking back to positionality, um, and if I can be a little vulnerable here, I assumed that my sources that were telling me to not capitalize white were correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I shared that with you. And then we ended up having a conversation around this because I was not thinking about who, who are the authors of these sources mm-hmm. that I was presenting to you to this, you know, like to sort of say, like, I think this is right. And all of the sources that I was sending you were from a white perspective. And I never even thought to look at that from a positionality standpoint. Mm-hmm the person that is providing this position, what is their position and how do they potentially benefit from this? Um, and so, you know, it was, it, it was a moment of pause for me to realize that who decides what is right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is really, you know, often just a matter of discussion. And so I appreciated that you and I had this discussion around capitalization. It meant a lot to me. I think it was a moment in our friendship where we could, honestly sort of push back and forth on each other. And it, it really expanded my viewpoint. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thanks for your vulnerability too. I mean, I feel like this is what a genuine friendship and relationship looks like. And we all have to be reminded, like, I I just, I can't say it enough that we're all socialized into, you know, uh, white supremacy and, uh, and, so just the simple act of now, even I have to make that intentional act of when I'm reading a source, who's writing it or the books on my bookshelf, do I have a diverse representation? So I just appreciate your vulnerability. 
Well, and again, that, you know, for me, was an important reminder. I felt like I understand positionality. And then it was just such an important reminder that it impacts everything. And I have to be very diligent mm-hmm. as I go through life um, to be aware of these things mm-hmm. and understand that it impacts how I view the world. And it's important for me to make sure that there is proximity of buried voices that are close to me, particularly as I'm using my voice. Yeah. Um, and so I just really, I think that that's something for me that I continue to work on. And I just appreciate the the openness that we have around that. Yeah. And I think it, it's directly impacting, you know, my racial competency as mm-hmm. I move forward. Mm-hmm. So as we, as we think about that and we think about, um, taking this understanding around positionality and, and trying to use that to better our ability to be an ally. Bree, how can white people be better allies? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things that, that you would say um, to me and to anyone listening? Because, you know, I wrestle with this. It's something that I talk about um, with my, with my family, with my children, um, you know, in obviously in work situations. And it's, it's so critical for us to yeah. be asking, what can we do? Yeah. I think I'd love to start my answer with just a disclaimer, so to speak, that okay. Black is not a monolith. I think that uh, oftentimes we're socialized to think whiteness is individual. It's it, We individualize it. And then for Blackness, we we generalize it. So I just feel the need to say black is not a monolith. We all have different experiences, biracial experiences different from black experience and even experiences between biracial people is different. Um, And also I think we've kind of referenced this and it's a common acronym that I see around BIPOC. So also just want to clarify that's black, indigenous and people of color. Uh, But I'd love to reference Guidelines for Being Strong White Allies, which was written by Paul Kievel, and it's part of this uh, racialequitytools.org resources. And they talk about how people of color have have discussed and have been remarkably consistent, as he states, in describing the kinds of support that they need from white allies. So I thought I'd read some of the quotes from people of color about what they want from white allies that I resonated well uh, myself. Okay. Uh, Some of them are, don't assume you know what's best for me, make mistakes, talk to other white people, teach your children, please teach your children about racism, speak up, respect us, listen to us, Uh, don't ask me to speak for my people, which kind of goes back Mm -hmm. to that, we're not a monolith, we all have individual experiences. So those are just some of the uh, the quotes from people of color that I resonate well uh, in terms of what we want from white allies. That's so great. Yeah, I think it's so helpful. And it, it's it's one of those things of like, as a white person, you don't have to have all the answers. It goes back to listening. Uh, mm-hmm. What do people of color want from white allies? We are learning so much from others that on each episode, we want to feature a thought leader or a resource that has been impactful to us. Today, our featured follow is Holiday Phillips. You can follow her on Instagram at Holiday Phillips, that's H-O-L-I-D-A-Y 
P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S. Holiday is a teacher, a researcher, and a writer, and she provides deep thinking for complex issues and healing conversations on race and equity for a wiser, kinder world. So go ahead and check her out. After listening to this episode, whether on your own or with your work teams, family, or friends, we'd love to leave you with a few questions to ponder. Featured discussion question number one for today is, what does allyship look like for you? And what are potential blind spots that you have based on your positionality? Ask yourself a couple of questions like, where does your information come from? Who is the author of this article, for instance? And who does it benefit? Brie, I love this one. And I think it goes back to our earlier discussion around body hair and what's considered acceptable for men and women. And when we when we ask ourselves this question, where does this information come from that influenced this change? You see in the 1920s that this was really driven by advertisers for hair removal creams and razor companies Hmm. because guess what? They wanted to sell more product. And so I think this is a great example of where did that information originate from and who did it benefit? I love it. History. Here we are, relearning history. Uh, Question number two. We'd love for you also to use what you're learning in Lunch and Unlearn to create brave spaces on your own, to have this important conversation around allyship, what it is and what it isn't, whether that is in your workplace, your community, your church, or even with your family at the dinner table. As we embark on this journey of unlearning, we are so thankful that you're here. We are excited to continue unpacking this conversation around race, equity, and intersectionality together. Stay connected with us. Visit our website at lunchandunlearn.com and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at lunchandunlearn and Facebook at lunchandunlearn. We hope you'll grab lunch with us again and join us for more brave conversations next time.